Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 151, and it's 20th of December, 2020. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? <sighs> Vivid, <laughs> in bright colours. <laughs> Sorry, that's a weird answer. Um, it's just because we've had the Mandalorian season finale obviously, which we're going to be talking about for the vast majority of this episode. And it's a big deal. Lots of big stuff happened in that episode. Um, So yeah, I guess I'm still processing and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, we both have a lot to say. So you have that to look forward to, guys. (laughs) Yeah, I just watched it for the third time last night and I was I felt like I was finally able to actually pay attention to everything that I needed to and absorb it. Mm, Nice. Uh, it's it's a lot, um, but we'll get into it. And it's just been very interesting to see all of the reactions out there. <laughs> yes, like it's definitely prompted debate, which I guess is the goal of all good art. So yeah, we will see like how it goes down in posterity in terms of its reputation. But yeah, I think there's very strong feelings on either side at the moment, both positive and negative. And we will get to our personal feelings, but just before we do, um, I wanted to briefly acknowledge that we've had some sad news about Jeremy Bullock passing away. And Jeremy was the first person to play Boba Fett in Empire and Return of the Jedi, I believe. And yeah, he's a bit of a legend in Star Wars circles. And I believe I saw him on stage once when I went to a marathon of the original trilogy at the BFI in London. And he seemed like a very charming and lovely man. You know, he was really kind and generous to the fans. And yeah, from the experiences I've seen people post about him online, he seems to have been very well regarded. So yeah, he's going to be very missed and all condolences to his loved ones. Yeah, it's been lovely to see people kind of talking about their experiences with him because it does seem like he was a really active presence on the con circuit and things. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess it's... It's just kind of a lot to process after the death of David Prowse and mm. obviously a lot of the original trilogy actors over the years. Um, so he'll be missed. Yeah, it's particularly sad to lose him and David Prowse so quickly um, after one another. So let's move on and get into our spotlight discussion of The Mandalorian Chapter 16, The Rescue. So yeah, Kirsty, do you want to start out with a proviso about the nature of our discussion? Because, yeah, obviously of the aforementioned strong feelings. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where to start, to be honest, because I think you're in the same boat. I'm feeling very conflicting things. Mm. You know, I don't have like a a one singular take. Um, but I would just warn anyone who is like feeling really really happy with this like unambiguously i don't want to ruin that for anyone so if we're going to kind of explore a myriad of feelings i don't want to like rain on anyone's parade i I just want to put that out there because i don't want to upset anyone i've seen some people who are so over the moon with this and that is really lovely to see and um i would just caution them to maybe think about whether they want to listen to us because we're going to kind of go I think we're going to explore the positives and negatives of what we've seen here. Yeah, no, 100%. I feel like that captures exactly what I would want to say in relation to this. Um, Because, yeah, like I've seen so many joyous reactions to this episode. And honestly, it makes me so happy 
to see that people have been made so happy. I think that's lovely, you know. I think for many fans, this episode is like the ultimate Christmas gift for them. And that's a really wonderful thing. And I do not for a second want to take anyone else's joy away from them. Um, but yeah, like I think in this podcast, we always have a history of being very honest about our own feelings. And that includes being honest about the things we liked and the things we didn't like. So yeah, if you feel like your own happiness about the episode might be disturbed in some way by our views, then yeah, by all means, please feel free to skip this one. Yeah, and I think after having watched it three times, I feel like I'm getting settled into being okay about being mixed about it. Mm, Because, you know, I really enjoyed most of it. And then I just feel very conflicted about a certain thing, which I'm sure people can guess what that is. But I also, and it will come down to each person's individual reading of like what is being said and how it fits into wider context of that character's arc. But I, I almost feel like I'm meant to be conflicted about it. So um, it it kind of depends on what comes next, uh, which we just don't know. So we're kind of exploring the unknown here as well. Yeah, it was quite funny actually to wake up on the morning of the episode because I believe that the Mando releases very late for you, Kirsty. It's like midnight your time, I think. It is midnight, yeah. And it's 8am for me in the UK, which obviously perfectly aligns with when I wake up in the morning, which is very pleasant. Um, and just after I finished watching the episode, I checked my phone and I had a message from Kirsty where it's like, you need to watch Mandalorian now. I have to talk to you about it or something to that effect. And you'd sent a very similar message very soon after the trailer for The Last Jedi came out, which <laughs> happened while I was sleeping. And it was kind of like a similar tone, but I could kind of vaguely tell that it wasn't for quite the same level of ecstatic <laughs> positivity. <laughs> I was more concerned about you checking Twitter first I really didn't (laughs) even though obviously this was it was not a huge surprise it was something we'd been speculating about for months you know like and especially since the Ahsoka episode we were like okay well it's obviously going to be him who shows up (laughs) we just were we weren't quite sure when and how that would happen yeah and how much we would see and in you know in what context but I I just didn't want it to be spoiled for you because people were posting full-on screenshots and everything it wasn't cool so yeah no thank you for doing that I usually do check Twitter religiously every morning but luckily that morning I was quick about it and went straight into watching the show and that was a good choice because mm. honestly like I do have mixed and conflicting feelings about the whole Luke thing but I've got to admit to feeling a sense of exhilaration when I saw him back on screen you know and saw the saber ignite and honestly still if you're listening to this I was so thrilled for you when I saw that saber come <laughs> out oh my god <laughs> I was like the people are gonna be psyched for this and yeah i i cannot deny how cool that whole sequence was i think the difficulties and the conflict within me because yeah star wars um it mainly comes from the implications of all the luke stuff and what it means for other things and yeah yeah we'll get into those yeah we'll talk about that because you know there are all sorts of debates going on about the framing of of what's being shown and how it fits into the wider arc and all these things but but yeah, first thing first, like you, I'm just happy for the people who are over the moon about this because that's that's what it's about, you know? Um, 
So I'm really happy for Steel with Ignite the Green, and I'm happy for Hawes at Blue Harvest for all of the Boba Fett goodness and the reveal at the end there. Oh my god, I loved and... it so much. I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a surprise. And, it, and that's the thing, it's, it's nice to be surprised by things, because after the Investor's Day, we were like, oh, I the, thought they were going to announce the Boba Fett thing. But it was all planned out. So Yeah, and yeah, I definitely so. think it was better to reveal the Boba Fett thing this way, because it was like kind of surprising you know and there's something like you know like an investor's day is the ultimate like corporate propaganda you know like and obviously Wars is this massive corporate franchise you know it's all about making money ultimately but the hope is that they make money by telling good interesting stories and i think it was more exciting to have the news of the boba fett show released through that stinger rather than through basically a press release so yeah i feel like they made the right call yeah, it's nice to get it with actual a story component there that yeah. we've got some context for how that story might begin. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a little more satisfying than just seeing a logo. <laughs> exactly. And I love Kathleen Kennedy, but she can't quite get me as hyped as actually seeing the kind of thing that we got with that Boba Stinger. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, but obviously that's sort of like the fireworks stuff. <laughs> and that's the stuff that comes towards the end of the episode and I don't want to overlook the rest of the episode because honestly even aside from the whole Luke and Boba stuff which I feel both need their own kind of separate discussions I honestly felt this was quite a strong and really well directed episode I thought Peyton Reed did a fantastic job me too when I found out that it was him doing it I was like oh I'm happy about that because I loved chapter 10 yeah it's obviously very different, um, but equally well-directed, I thought. Well-paced, sharp. Um, again, I'm not the biggest fan of the stormtroopers being shot in the corridor, and there was a lot of that. <laughs> but I, I didn't mind it for a few different reasons. Um, it, it kept me entertained. I was I was paying attention, which sometimes is <laughs> not always true. I'm, sometimes I'm just kind of drifting off <laughs> during those scenes. <laughs> Yeah, um, especially since it's just after midnight. Yeah, it just it felt it felt dynamic, and you know, obviously, all of the characters were really engaged. They were kind of united in this mission, even as they were going off in different directions. Um, there were moments where you really felt like they were in a jam, and um, yeah, I, I I thought that Gideon was also really compelling, and there were a few interesting tidbits that were thrown in there, which um, by design were left hanging in a way that made me feel almost frustrated by the appearance of Luke at the end, because it was like, oh, now all the focus is on that. Yeah. But but they were obviously there for a reason. They're going to be picked up in presumably the next season. So we just kind of have to deal with that. Yeah. So the episode starts out with Dr. Pershing being transported on an Imperial cruiser. I was informed by my dad. Um, I, I have no idea about <laughs> ship types, but yeah if I'm wrong people can scream at me on Twitter so it's all good um, and yeah the ship is obviously stopped and boarded by our heroes um, and I must say I thought that whole sequence was quite well done and I thought the Imperials were interestingly characterised because one of them is very very willing to collaborate and just wants to live basically and the other one is more fanatical and I liked all the lines of, uh, where he was taunting Kara about Alderaan 
and obviously making the fan favorite um, discussion point about all the lives lost on the Death Star. Um, <laughs> yeah, which strongly reminded me of certain Reddit posts I've read, but whatever, it worked for the show, so I'll forgive them. He was absolutely horrible. <laughs> he really <laughs> he was. was. Like almost making my skin crawl. Uh, yeah. But it was nice to see more exploration of Kara being from Alderaan, I guess. Uh, I can't help but feel like that's for specific purposes and setting things up, but well, that remains to be seen. Yeah, um, they really again, don't I... want us to forget she's from Alderaan at this point. They're really, really keen that we know that. <laughs> They've reminded yeah. us several times. <laughs> and I, I like seeing Dr. Pershing back as well. I, I, we don't get much of him because he kind of conveniently disappears for the rest of the episode, but... He's an interesting character because we've known from the previous episodes that he isn't necessarily a bad guy. You know, mm. he obviously cares about the 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 well being of Grogu in some capacity. Yeah, and um, is only too willing to to give them the information they need to run this mission. So, I wonder if we'll see him again. Yeah, I found it absolutely hilarious how like he was just completely willing to collaborate with them. You know, there wasn't like any hesitation at all. It's like, yep, giving you all the information you need. No worries. All good. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. And it honestly also kind of made me wonder if maybe he didn't even really want to work for the Empire in the first place. Maybe he was like kidnapped into working with them or something, which, yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Um, He didn't seem particularly happy in that job. Let's put it that way. But yeah, yeah, he's the sort of character I'd be interested in seeing fleshed out in something else. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice to see him again. Yeah. I, I had to watch it a couple of times to be like, wait, where did he go? But he <laughs> just kind of disappears from one scene to the next. <laughs> Hilariously, my dad, who has not watched all of the Mandalorian episodes, just to be clear, he watched this episode and after it had finished, he told me he was disappointed that Dr. Pershing vanished so early in the episode and thought that Dr. Pershing might come back at the end of the episode to save the day instead of the point at which Luke came in. Oh, bless him. <laughs> I, I thought that was absolutely adorable. Not sure that would have had the same impact. <laughs> Can you imagine the fandom response if none of that Luke stuff had happened and it would just been like Dr. Pershing pulling like a techie trick to like get rid of the um, dark troopers in the end? <laughs> well, this is the thing, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm very conflicted about the Luke stuff. I know we're not supposed to be talking about it right now, but it... It does make it a lot harder for me to focus on Din and Grogu. I know that's not true for every fan. Mm. I know some people have some really strong emotional reactions to their parting. Yeah. And I do, like, in theory, but in execution when I'm watching it, I'm like, I cannot focus on it. Yeah. Which is <laughs> frustrating. I know what you mean. It's kind of symptomatic of what I felt the whole season, but obviously taken up to like a completely different level you know because it's luke skywalker and you don't get a bigger star wars character than that um because yeah like i feel like every time you have someone like bo katan or soka or boba fett like on screen they sort of like suck up all the oxygen in the room you know and it limits the space that is left for the other characters and that's a shame because I really like Din and I really like Grogu and their relationship and I want that to be more of a focus and yeah that's why I think that for both of us chapter 10 the passenger always be the gold standard for the Mandalorian which is yeah not how most people think of the show which we just have to accept but sure um and and at this point 
What's interesting about that is that I do feel like Bo-Katan and Boba Fett and Fennec, they all do feel organic once you get to this episode. It's like, of course he's working with them. Yeah. Of course he's allied with them on this mission. So you've gotten kind of used to them over the course of the series and it's not on the level of like an Ahsoka or a Luke. Yeah. I think it's just a last minute addition of him in this episode, which is obviously for very dramatic purposes but oh god see even with our discussion we can't help but jump to luke <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're supposed to be going chronologically yeah exactly i'm sorry i kind of spoil it by bringing in the dr pershing as the surprise savior of the heroes <laughs> strand that would have been something yeah no i would have liked that that would have been l- lovely a nice redemptive moment which we're obviously both fans of I do wonder if when the X-Wing shows up, you're meant to be kind of wondering who it is. But it's like, as soon as he saw it as an X-Wing, it was like, well, obviously it's... <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, oh, okay, that's who it is then. <laughs> I saw a really cute post from someone who was like, my sister thought it might be Poe Dameron. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's adorable. Yeah. Again, I think some people are confused about the timeline, but... <laughs> Sequel trilogy supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah. Um... Okay, yeah, so to go back to the chronological discussion of the episode, the whole heist where they rescue, I guess, Dr. Pershing is followed up with Mando and Boba going into a bar, because it's always in a bar, apparently, that people are hanging out, um, and finding Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves. Sasha Banks was telling Porky's. Yes! (laughs) She said she was not going to be in this season again. She is. I know, I wasn't sure if I was misremembering that. I made a note to myself about how, didn't Sasha Banks say she wasn't coming back? Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you also remember that being the thing that she said, because I was like, oh, you telling lies. But yeah. It's kind of nice, actually, to have one of the actors telling a bold-faced lie again, rather than just spoiling everything, because <laughs> some of them have not been able to help themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, I love how casually people sometimes reveal major stuff. It's quite entertaining. That was a nice surprise because I figured we'd see Bo again, but I was like, well, as soon as Sasha said she wasn't going to be in it, I just, I believed her. So Yeah, no, it was really nice to see both of them back. And I really loved all that like feisty dialogue with them two and Boba. It was quite entertaining, especially the whole like princess stuff. You know, he was being a bit saucy. I enjoyed that. Well, he calls Bo a princess once they're flying away again, right? Like, so it's, it's a bit... At that point, it feels a bit more, like, mockingly affectionate, almost. Yes. Like, okay, we are on the same side. There's almost a truce. But when he calls uh, Koska, um, little one, <laughs> like, oh, you are asking for it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've probably read too ma- too much fan fiction in my life, Kirsty. I think that sort of terminology has been murdered for me. <laughs> I know. I think it, it, it attracted the shipping. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So I do have a Boba ship, not like hardcore ship, you know, it's not going to be like the new Raylo for me. But yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. But suffice to say, it's not between Boba and Koska, I'm afraid. I know. Yeah. But if you told me last year I would be shipping Boba Fett with anyone, <laughs> I would not have believed you. <laughs> Same. You know? I'm like, what have I become? I don't know myself anymore. It's very strange. But this whole bit is really interesting because... Mando himself has obviously made peace with the fact that Boba is Mandalorian, just in a different way from him. But he has never heard a clone's voice, presumably, whereas Bo immediately recognises it and is very angry, you know? Mm. She's like, I've heard your voice a thousand times. 
she doesn't even accept that Django is um, his father. She says, don't you mean your donor? And again, it throws into question who gets to be a Mandalorian and who doesn't. Yeah. It's like ultimate gatekeeping, isn't it? <laughs> this time it's coming from Bo-Katan, like the former leader of Mandalore. So I'm just interested to see where that goes in terms of Boba's identity and whether it ultimately matters um, what someone else thinks of him as if he gets to kind of assert that himself. And is also interesting with this emphasis on bringing Bo-Katan back into the story like this because I think she's going to be very pivotal to the story going forward and again this is stuff that is informed by the way in which the episode ends yeah like she can clearly tell she's like very much an underdog at this point you know they're just like dossing in bars basically and they don't seem to have much of a support base and like much of what she's doing seems to be about building up resources essentially because the reason she goes with Mando on this mission is not just having a bleeding heart because Grogu's been kidnapped it's because there's a promise of a ship in it for her basically and I like that you know she's practical she has good solid reasons to do things and yeah good writing well isn't it also that she's desperate to get the dark saber Yes, that is also a good point and obviously the much more important point about her motivation. <laughs> so thank well, you she's... for reminding me. <laughs> she says, like, um, Gideon's mine, you know? Yes. Which is it's kind of what we've been speculating about over a few episodes. We were like, well, how is this going to work? Because obviously Din has the Beskar staff and um, he's got that beef with Gideon in terms of wanting Grogu back. But it's really Bo-Katan's fight in terms of getting the Darksaber. And of course, that conflict was there by design because of what happens later on. So I think that was actually built up pretty well because fans were speculating as to how that would work. And it didn't work. And that was the point. Yeah, no, exactly. And it just leads to a whole new world of awkwardness in the finale, (laughs) which I appreciate. I know, I really felt for Bo. Yeah, and then after that, there's basically lots and lots of heavy action because the story becomes very much about infiltrating the Imperial cruiser and taking back Grogu and obviously for Bo-Katan getting the Darksaber. Um, And I kind of feel it's a bit pointless to talk about this like in detail, you know, like we're not going to do a scene-by-scene breakdown. Um, but overall, I think I'll just reiterate what you said earlier, Kirsty, and that it's all very well done. You know, the action is very well depicted, it's all exciting, it's all well paced and well executed by everyone involved. And I really liked how, like, the side thing, you know, where we see the ladies going off and, like, taking the bridge of the ship, basically how each fighter was used in like a nice organic way, you know, and they all contributed to the mission, um, which was really cool. She might feel like Bo-Katan and Koska are a bit overpowered because they obviously have the Beskar armor and, you know, that is a bit like a superhero thing. Um, But yeah, everyone contributed and it was all really well done. So yeah, kudos. Yeah, I wish I could have just unequivocally enjoyed all of that, but obviously there's one component that I just can't so yeah I was like yeah okay they're going for girl power here but um there's a moment where Kara's gun jams and you think there's a chance she might die i'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i perked up a bit <laughs> honestly um my favorite parts of that were um ming wen i thought she was fantastic yeah no she was so good like all the roles and just the 
like action and the physicality of it. It was all really fantastic. <laughs> was, I'm jumping ahead here, but the stuff with the Death Troopers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I need to calm down. No, I just don't worry. think I don't know what they were going for, but to me, it was like it just seemed really funny. Like <laughs> the part where. Starts the dubstep, his... the dubstep. Sorry, <laughs> the music. Yeah, that was definitely something. Um, I, I, I felt that was quite good. I mean, I, I think Ludwig was, does an amazing job with this entire series, um, and I'd love to see him work in other projects for Star Wars. We'll see what happens. But um, I, I thought that worked quite well because it felt like in keeping with what they were going for with with that vibe even though i'm not totally on board with the death troopers themselves mm, yeah yeah but there's this moment where din is having like his helmeted face repeatedly punched oh my god yes i remember that <laughs> and that i was, was like so funny. please tell me that yeah please tell me this is supposed to be funny because <laughs> at that point you'd seen so many deaths you know like it had been a pretty particularly violent episode that it was like this is just icing on top of the cake and you've got this helmeted face being punched but you can't see any of the impact of it and the person punching isn't even a person they're a mindless droid and it, it just felt like smushing two action figures together it it has to have been meant to be funny surely yeah no i found it very cartoony i, I think is the kind way to put that um and yeah, like I wasn't feeling fear in that particular moment with the like helmet crushing. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I think the dark troopers generally, I just don't like robot warriors. You know, I, they just don't do anything for me. And I know why they use the dark troopers. It's because they needed Luke to mow down a whole battalion of troopers and not have them be actual people because Luke needs to be a pacifist and non-violent, blah blah blah. I know all that. But I just don't like them and I don't find it particularly interesting to watch humans battle robots. There's none of the same vulnerability, I guess. You know, they are by definition invulnerable in this unless they come up against a lightsaber. And yeah, it's just not my favourite kind of action. I totally get what you're saying, but I think because we didn't see that much of the human-to-human combat with them, it was okay. Like, mm. it was sort of meant to be that way. Because the one that fights Din, I think that was supposed to kind of remind us that Din is just a human underneath. Yeah. And he was just being flung around like a ragdoll. Yeah. You know, aside from the punching, he was just literally being thrown across. And you could hear him groaning. Yeah. And they were kind of emphasizing with the angles, I felt... Like they were showing the parts of them that weren't armored, like his legs and stuff. Like he, he just looked really vulnerable all of a sudden, and I was, I wasn't worried for him because I knew that things were going to be okay. But it was like, I don't know, he was getting seriously hurt in that moment. And obviously, when you see him later on, he unmasks. You, he, he looks quite different from like the finale for season one. He's not like covered in blood or anything. But in the moment, it's like, wow, he's being seriously beat up at this point. Yeah. You know? And that was just with one of them. And I think that was the point. And Gideon even says it later on. Like, you couldn't handle one of them. And now there's an entire platoon. Yeah. And obviously, it gets to the point where they don't need to worry about that because someone flies in and rescues them. But um, I think it was supposed to position them as a genuine threat. Like, they would not have been able to handle that had Luke not shown up. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right with all that. It's basically trying to set up like very poor odds for them to face 
and to make the peril that much more extreme i guess isn't it yeah and i I agree with you it's a very like uh, they do seem kind of like iron man sort of i don't know they are they are lifeless by design but the the thing that pershing says earlier on about how what is it what is the line he says that there's no human inside they erase that final weakness they're mm. just droids now yeah um i thought that was interesting like describing the humanity in something as the weakness yeah no that is a good point um and i also thought it was interesting because i know there was some speculation earlier on that they might have been using like the blood of baby yoda slash grogu to try and give these robots like force sensitivity, you know, like have force sensitive like robotic troopers or whatever. Um, right. And I did not get that vibe at all from this. I yeah. don't think that's what they're going for. I think Baby Yoda is clearly being used for something else. Yeah, well, that was what was kind of confusing about the framing of that previous episode mm. because you had that alongside Gideon staring at these dark troopers, right? Yeah. So that I remember when I watched the episode being like, wait, is he staring at clones? Like, it seemed like the two were connected. And I don't know if that was intentional or if we just kind of completely got the wrong end of the stick. Yeah. Like, I feel like they just wanted to pack in another cool reveal at the end of that episode. You know, it's like, oh, look, there's a scary enemy coming up. And I don't think they necessarily wanted people to conflate the whole Grogu experimentation thing with the Dark Troopers. But if that was the intent, I thought they were a bit clumsy because that definitely did come across as an implication. So, yeah, who knows? Right, because they were both tied together by Gideon. So if you have Gideon staring at something as you're having this plan revealed in another aspect, I I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I just wasn't following the story properly, but it seemed kind of muddled. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, And yeah, on the subject of Moff Gideon, he was also extremely fun in this episode. Like, I just really like him because he's basically like a panto villain, you know, playing like a Star Wars bad guy. And those can be the best Star Wars bad guys, you know, when it's just this really over-the-top cartoonish villainy. And I think you know like it's just clearly the most fun to perform that role when you are allowed to go all out you know when you don't need to have any restraint and you can just be all moustache twirling you know so yeah it's a really fun performance and i enjoyed watching him yeah and they've kind of transitioned him from someone who was quite intimidating and scary to someone who just seems to be having a lot of fun with it yes and you know when din decides to keep him alive he seems genuinely like oh i can't wait to see what happens next (laughs) (laughs) yes because he and obviously this has been established at that point you always have this sense from him that he knows more about what's going on than the heroes themselves you know what does he say assume that i know everything and he does seem to because at that moment he's like oh god i can't wait to see how bokatan handles this Yeah, no, it's very entertaining. And yeah, I've seen some speculation that in the next season, he might be sort of like a Hannibal Lecter type, you know, like he's imprisoned by the New Republic. But obviously, because he does have all this information, he's consulted about things, you know, to try and like find out clues about what's going on with all the nefarious goings on in the galaxy. And I quite like that as a concept. I think that could be really fun. Yeah, um, I am wondering what happens because... He gave an interview, Giancarlo, didn't he say something about how you're really, you're going to get way more of him in season three? Yeah. Or he's going to be up to more interesting things? Because it really, at this stage, we still have very little sense of what he actually wants with Grogu's blood. Yeah. They're really dancing around with it. 
And I I think it's kind of funny that they're still not saying the word midichlorians out loud because that's obviously what they mean whenever they say blood. M count. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I wonder what the the decision behind that really is about because there's plenty of other prequel references though. Yeah, it is a weird thing to be hung up about, I must say. It's like, come on, most people accept midichlorians now. You're like, I mean, most people in the fandom accept midichlorians. I just don't know why you would choose to have a storyline about force sensitivity and blood if you didn't want to use the word midichlorians at all costs <laughs> like that is kind of unavoidable but m count it's so cool <laughs> sorry i just don't quite understand like well, what's the aversion to just saying the word like that's the word that's used within your universe that's been established yeah especially since lucas is pretty much deified at this point like, everything he touched is precious holy law um, but yeah, I, I could not explain the reasoning if I tried. It's very peculiar. Um, and yeah, oh, wasn't it cute, Kirsty, the way that um, <laughs> um, Din actually thought that Gideon was like giving up and just letting oh, him take him. the baby? You know, it was like, oh, sweetheart, of course he's not. I, I love Din. He's such a softie. He is. I think he really seemed like, at that point, Gideon was just coming across as this reasonable person who would just, you know, we can just work this out. I want the dark saber. I've got what I need from baby. You can just go. And Din was just like, "Oh, thank God. Let's just leave." Mm. You know, he just wants out of there. He he's pretty much he makes it clear multiple times. He doesn't care about the dark saber. He doesn't care about Mandalore. He just wants Grogu and he obviously had Bo-Katan work with him on the condition that she would then be able to go and take these things from Gideon, but he doesn't care. Yeah. It reminded me very much of Finn in The Force Awakens actually. Um, because obviously yeah. Finn's whole deal in that film is he's only in it for Rey. You know, he doesn't care about this greater conflict. He just wants to save his new friend, basically. And yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, and it's not selfishness. It's I care about this thing so much. That's what I'm in it for. And I'll bring you along if you have a larger goal. And that's fine. You can work that out. But it's nothing to do with me. And that all ties into how Din feels about being a Mandalorian and whether he truly feels connected to these other Mandalorians. And it's like this... Well, once he defeats Gideon, of course, it's really feeding into this kind of reluctant heir trope. Um, I'm I'm fascinated about that. I, I can't wait to see where that goes next season. Yeah. Because that's going to be kind of the new focus. And that's the thing, like, we've been wondering all along, like, where is that all going? Like, is that going to come back or are we kind of focus on all of these other cameos and all these other things and now it feels like with Grogu kind of out of the way at least um for the moment it feels like that's going to be the new focus Mm. and I'm not mad about that I feel like that stuff is really interesting and it's really interesting for Bo-Katan as well and I I just want to see where that's going because I want to see what the end goal for Din's arc is yeah because in a way, this finale almost feels like it could be a series finale, um, especially with them teeing up the Boba Fett series. I was like, oh, is that it? Especially with Grogu going, it's like, is that it for Din? But it can't be because they're setting all of this stuff up with him now having the Darksaber and <laughs> Bo kind of refusing to take it. Yeah, no, it's quite interesting. So I feel like each season of the show will be very different because yeah. in season one, it was all quite refreshing you know it was mostly new characters and it was mostly these small scale stories about those new characters you know basically going on a different adventure each week and that was really cool and enjoyable 
And then this second season, it's been much more about connecting those new characters to the wider events in the galaxy. And as far as I can tell, setting up like the background to the events of some of the sequel trilogy stuff. And obviously also linking back to some of the pre-established characters from the Clone Wars, for example. You know, and it's been much more reliant on connections to other parts of the Star Wars lore. And it looks like going forward in season three, it's going to be a very different show again, because up until now, the main crux of the show has been that Din and Grogu bond. And now that Grogu is with Luke, then it's going to have to be about Din himself dealing with something else. And it seems like from all the evidence we have at the moment, the future of the show is very much going to be about Din, like, getting more involved with like the Mandalorian intrigues and presumably choosing a side, you know, because there are all these different factions of Mandalorians, all with different customs and beliefs, and he's going to have to pick one, and I guess that's what we're going to see next time. And yeah, as with Kirsty, I'm not mad about that. I think that actually has a lot of promise to really enrich the character and give him much more textured character development as we move forward and hopefully just see more of Pedro Pascal's face you know I just want that yeah I think this is why we've had a bit of trouble connecting to the season um, because the second season does seem like it's had to achieve so many different things at the same time like it's it's clear by now they obviously had the plan that they had to set up these different spin-offs and I think I just said that in an in a investors call (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know i guess again it comes down to the first season being successful so they kind of got that out the way and then it was okay how do we kind of grow from from this we you know this can't be the one and only show um and because of that we have felt like din's own arc has kind of taken a backseat so it's really encouraging in a way for to kind of have that all set up now and that he's made this huge step in terms of just as he gets Grogu back saying goodbye to him and that being this hugely emotional thing, which, as I said, I was finally able to fully absorb and pay attention to after my third viewing. Um, and yeah, it just makes you wonder where things are going to go for him now, which is the point. You know, how, how do we see Din without Grogu? Mm. Grogu's been there since episode one. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be different. But that's the thing. I think with this show, you just kind of got to roll with it and accept that each season is going to have a very different flavor. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good thing because it does allow for an element of reinvention each time. So, obviously, you and I, Kirsty, have very complicated and intermittently negative feelings about this season but I do have a lot of hope that they've set up some really promising threads for the next season to follow up on and obviously we won't know whether those threads are indeed followed up on until we get the next season but I think there's reason to be hopeful for the future of the show yeah honestly Din unwittingly becoming the heir to Mandalore is so juicy yeah it's great (laughs) because we see it before he does and he's like oh we'll just take it it's like no she's she can't do that (laughs) which is kind of funny because i I don't know they'll they'll explain this in some way i'm sure but in rebels sabine just kind of gives it to her (laughs) maybe that's why she couldn't hold on to it maybe that's part of the point they thought that she could just 
be given it and it turns out that that actually wasn't where the power came from that's why she lost it in the first place <laughs> yeah it, it, that is really funny i didn't know that <laughs> well I, I think that must be how they're going to explain it that she thought she had it and was the heir but because sabine gave it to her it wasn't truly earned in some way right i don't know how they're going to get around it now because I, I do feel bad for Vero now because I'm like, she wanted that saber and now it's Din's and she can't kill him. So what the hell's going to happen? That sort of explanation would explain why Moff Gideon knew so precisely why Bo-Katan was mortified in that moment. Because, yeah, he would have used the sequence of events that led to Bo-Katan getting the dark saber previously to take it away from her. You know, mm. would have been like, well, it's not yours really. Haha, <laughs> shnike. <laughs> just like taking it um yeah so it will be very interesting to see the ramifications of that and i yeah. also liked the humor inherent in that scenario and obviously it's not meant to be hugely funny but i found it quite funny because it gave me serious life for brian vibes you know the whole <laughs> you're, you're the messiah we want to worship you and brian's like no leave me alone then he's like i'm just here for the kid yeah exactly it was very relatable he's just tired he's just done he doesn't want to do with any of this shit and yeah i respect that and i like bo katan i'm i'm glad that this means that we'll see more of her in this series i think katie sackoff is doing a great job transitioning to live action with that character yeah um so if we can see her and din more in this really interesting dynamic that's now been set up where they kind of have this bond and a camaraderie, but also she really wanted that saber and he doesn't want it, but she would have to kill him to take it. Like, how is that going to go? I think they should get married. That would yeah. solve the problem. I think that'd be lovely. <laughs> I'd like that. And make a beautiful couple. Political marriage AU. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing too many fix. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, I just like the sense of having no real idea of what the future of the show is. Because as as it finished the first time i was watching it i was like wait what is that the end of the show grogu's gone yeah but it just means that it's going to be different and i don't think he's gone forever because we'll get into it but with the whole luke thing versus what ahsoka was saying uh i'm interested to see what the overall framing of this this decision and development is going to end up being mm. whether we're supposed to feel good about this for grogu or not and for luke because oh there's, there's a lot to unpack there yeah no definitely so do we want to move into the whole luke thing yes why not that's the the next big thing <laughs> yeah let's do it so i presume we both realized it was luke as soon as we saw the x-wing right yeah and i figured he'd be showing up like i know there's been all sorts of speculation of, over the the course of the season as to who the jedi would be that baby yoda was calling out to it had to be luke it wasn't going to be cal kestis <laughs> you know we've already seen ahsoka ezra's already being lined up for another series so they have they have to keep the mystery there as to where he's at this point so it, it was always going to be luke yeah exactly i feel like anyone else it would have been <laughs> the televisual equivalent of a wet fart kind of <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I know that sounds mean, you know, I don't mean to like diminish characters like Ezra and the other ones, but they they just wouldn't have had that same power for the audience, you know, they wouldn't have hit in the same way. It would have been like, oh, cool, Ezra, guy from Rebels, awesome. And I know that would have made many people who love Rebels and love that character, and there are many people who 
belong to those categories it would make them ecstatically happy but i think it's also important to remember that there's a very wide contingent of people watching the mandalorian like my dad who have no idea whatsoever who ezra is you know and i do feel like the mandalorian is trying to reach a very broad spectrum of star wars fans and only luke would have had the impact that luke has had so yeah it was kind of inevitable yeah, that's that's the thing. I figured he would show up. What I didn't anticipate was how they would do it. And that's the thing that I'm kind of stuck on a little bit. Aside from the CGI, which I just don't... I'm Okay, the context of me watching this for the first time was that evening, a few hours earlier, I'd watched Rogue One again for the first time in ages. Because I was like, oh, I kind of want to refresh my memory as to what's going on with Cassian and what they might explore in his series. And I really enjoyed watching the movie... It had been a while, but my two takeaways were really still not a huge fan of the Vader hallway scene, and I don't think the CGI works for the characters. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so those two things were on my mind when this episode hit. Yeah. Which is just kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm really kind of unfortunate, to be honest, because it's really going to make those things stand out for you. Well, that's why I had a hard time with it the first time watching, honestly. Mm. Um yeah we'll we'll get into it but in terms of how luke arrives just as like i'm luke skywalker and i'm here to rescue you and everything's cool it was a bit i don't know how i feel about that because the execution of it means that these main characters of this series that we've been watching this whole time they kind of just stand there watching him on tv screens while he kicks ass (laughs) which is a bit too meta for my taste because it's just like wow luke skywalker and no most of them don't know his name but (laughs) it was just like they're watching him like we're watching him (laughs) yeah no i I think that's a big part of the problem for me too is that it made the actual protagonist of the show like completely passive like in that way you know and it was just disappointing like it would have felt more organic to have Din be involved in some way for, you know, like, the the rescue. And I guess he does rescue Baby, you know, through the fighting Gideon. So, like, I don't completely hate it. It's just, again, about that overpowering black hole effect of having Luke Skywalker there, you know, because it just sucks the attention away from everything else that happens. This is why it's hard, because I'm, I'm really conflicted on how I feel about it. Because I do think that has the overall effect of being like, wow, it's Luke. I can only focus on Luke. But if I think objectively about what I consider Din's arc to be in this episode, it's not about kicking ass, actually. It's about getting baby and then letting him go. Mm, yeah. And, and unmasking for him. But we can't, you know, we can't forget how huge a thing that is. And that's what we'd been hoping to see. And we did see it. It was just hard to focus on it but with everything else that was going on. But I, I think in terms of what, what we're supposed to take away from Din's character development, it's all there. And, you know, if you wanted to see Din kicking ass, well, he was killing a bunch of stormtroopers earlier and fighting the dark troopers. But ultimately, that wasn't what his character was meant to be about in this episode. It was about saying goodbye to Grogu. So that's, that's why I'm kind of really mixed on the Luke thing, because on the one hand that is how I felt that Luke was there and taking attention away from everyone else. But was it such a bad thing that Luke was the one beating everyone up? Because 
that wasn't what Dim was supposed to be doing at that point. He was supposed to be emotionally wrestling with the fact that Grogu was going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so, a really um, good I'm, point. I don't have like a, a neat... I don't have a neat... Like, this is exactly how I feel because I feel all sorts of things about it. Yeah. No, and I think that's completely valid. Like, I've only watched it twice and I definitely want to watch it again to sort of reconcile my own feelings about it. Like, mm. I must say, I did feel like a spark of childish glee you know at seeing Luke mow down all those troopers you know there was something really thrilling and mystical about that you know seeing the Luke Skywalker back exactly right down to the cloves as he was in Return of the Jedi you know I can't deny that that did give me this exhilarating feeling you know when I watched it it's yeah it's just because obviously I'm so immersed in all this stuff and I'm so hyper aware of everything else surrounding that character, you know, the rest of the character's story, you know, what happens with him in the originals, in the sequel trilogy, and then obviously all the fan perceptions of the character and how I, of course, knew all of this stuff with him being a badass and mowing down fools. Like, I knew instantly how that was going to be taken and perceived in the fandom. And mm. I hate that that, like, sort of filters my perception of it, but it really does, you yeah. know, and it kind of, like, tainted what would have otherwise been this kind of, like, pure and cynical joy about it. And, yeah, that's kind of a sad thing, I guess. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because the framing of it, if you think about, like, what we're supposed to take away from everything that Luke's doing there, it's quite ambiguous, um, it kind of leaves it up to the individual audience members' interpretation as to how we're supposed to perceive that. Because as I was watching it, because I'd just watched Rogue One, I recognised the parallel that they were going for there. But to me, it was supposed to be a sign, which of course fits in with what we get of Luke in The Last Jedi, that this is Luke at the it's the pride before the fall, basically. Sure. Right? That he is unaware of what's going on with Palpatine, that he is not aware of the lessons that should have been taken away from the prequel era in terms of <laughs> not taking kids away from their parents, um, not aware of that being a key component of his own father's arc mm. and fall. Um, so he's in this, oh, I'm a badass, I'm mowing down fools, as he called it, <laughs> uh, mode. But it's not supposed to be aspirational or badass. It's, oh no, Luke sort of lost his way already. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw that it was the parallel of the Vader scene, but I didn't think... I th thought it was meant to be a sign that things are not right, because why would we want Luke to be paralleling that scene? And we know in the future years, he's going to mess up terribly with his nephew. Yeah. And I thought right down to him coming in and taking his hood back and having this really pious, Jesus-like messiah demeanor. <laughs> I thought that was meant to be all part of that, that it was like, this is, you know, as Luke himself says in The Last Jedi, I had this hubris. I saw the mighty blood and I thought I could train him and pass on my strengths and it all went wrong. And I, I feel like this is him in that moment, just before he does all of those things. I just don't know if that's coming across for everyone. That yeah. That might be the problem. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. And 
I feel like it's very hard to judge this right now because so much depends on the follow through, you know, Mm. like what happens next with Luke and Grogu, you know, how does that training relationship go? Like, is Luke humbled and does he realise that, oh shit, I should not have taken this child away from the parent who loved him so much, you know, and the parent who made him feel secure. And like, I really hope and like I may be naive and look like a fool in future by saying this but I think it will happen because I think they've made a real point of showing Grogu's leaning towards the dark side in this season you know we've seen it with him slamming troopers around when he was imprisoned we've seen it through Ahsoka sensing the dark side in it it, through Ahsoka sensing the dark side in him and explicitly pointing that out to Din and I feel like that has to be done with some sort of purpose you know like why tease the fact that this child has dark side inclinations and all these like fears and hang-ups if you aren't going to later pursue that and have there be consequences to that you know so I feel like if I had to like write a fan fiction about what were to happen next with Luke and Grogu I would guess that it starts off okay but gradually goes wrong as Grogu just becomes more and more pained about being separated from Din. And then there's some sort of incident where Luke realises, oh crap, I shouldn't have separated these two people. And he returns baby to Din. You know, that would be my working guess about what happens, but we'll really just have to wait and see. And that's part of the difficulty of the episode because we don't know if anything resembling that will happen. See, my concern with that is that we know that Luke doesn't learn that lesson before doing the same thing with Ben. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And in a way, it makes it worse if he did have that experience with Grogu and then he does the same thing with Ben. But it's so hard to say because, again, I feel like you could do that plot, you know, where there's cycles of failure. You know, he fails with Grogu, but then he sees his nephew desperately struggling and Ben's parents are pleading with Luke to help them, you know, to protect their son. And he decides, okay, I failed with this old student, Grogu, but I've got to try again. This is my nephew. I need to try and we can maybe try and do things in a different way, you know? Like, I feel like there are ways of framing it where it would work and it wouldn't just feel like Luke being a shit person. (laughs) But again, it's all so much in the execution and we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like they have to be setting up the fact that Luke is making big mistakes here because he actually, he says talent without training is nothing. (laughs) I hate that some people are going to take that as like a truism and there will probably be t-shirts of that on. Yeah. That that pains me. The whole point is that it's almost antithetical to really any perception of, I'm actually... I'm I'm glad that they're going there in a way, but I'm kind of shocked to hear that coming out of Luke Skywalker's mouth. Do you know? Yeah. Like it's so against everything we kind of perceive about what is meant to be there in terms of the force and and he says to Ray, the force is not a power you have, it's not about that. It's I don't know, I feel like they're really driving home that point about the emphasis on the training and it's not meant to be a good thing at this point, but as you say it will be taken in many different ways. And I, I just feel like for me, it's so clear at this point that this is Luke in his hubris. And I almost feel sad for him. Like, 
I think about where he's at in terms of seeing himself as the last Jedi and having this huge weight on his shoulders after redeeming his father and being the hero of the galaxy. Mm. What that means for him going forwards. And then I jump forward to the end of the sequel trilogy and feel that Rey's in the same boat. And I'm like, God, break this cycle, please. Yeah, I'm kind of just like, baby, burn those books. You don't need them. Just make it new. Do whatever you want. Do what feels good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's a whole separate discussion about where Rey is left at the end of the sequel trilogy. And we will hopefully have that discussion relatively soon because we're hoping to have a sequel trilogy retrospective in the new year so yeah wait look out for that guys um it's separate but it felt to me like such a cyclical thing that i was like that could have been ray unmasking do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it could have i don't know i i just it it felt like i don't know i just felt sad for luke honestly and i know this will sound weird to some people who were so over the moon to see him and just thought he was the most badass thing ever but luke just like mowing down a bunch of droids and showing up and taking someone away and kind of i don't know i know he was with r2 he wasn't alone but it, there was just something about him that just seemed so soulless in a way and it, maybe that was just the cgi but i felt <laughs> like it was meant to be part of his demeanor yeah no i do feel like it has to be intentional to be honest um and yeah like i i think he's just so inflexible isn't he? You know, he's clearly so smug and so convinced that everything he's saying is true and right and he has no, like, there's no question that he cannot do this, you know, that he cannot train this child, cannot look after and protect this child. You know, he just completely takes that for granted. And yeah, I think it's pretty clear that those are convictions that are going to be shaken and undermined. And yeah, it's just tragic that Luke went where he did and kept doing it, kept taking kids from their families because, yeah, it's not a good look for you, Luke. There is this real tragedy to it because he's obviously, he's projecting this confidence, but at this point, I just want to scream to him, Palpatine is there. All of this is connected. And why doesn't anyone explain to him before he leaves that they're after Grogu's blood? Like, there's a reason. Obviously, the, the reason specifically why... Um, Gideon is taking the blood isn't like complete it's not fully stated to us at this point but it's obviously not good and there's obviously this pattern of four sensitive kids being pursued so it would be nice if Luke was vaguely aware of that and yeah. could maybe let Leia know it's like kind of relevant Luke kind of relevant to your situation and what you're hoping to do but yeah maybe not but what do I know <laughs> I didn't yeah. have time to go and look it up, but do you remember in Bloodline, there's that part where Leia is thinking about Luke, like, redeeming his father, and he's got this, like, air of being very serene and holier than thou, and almost comes across as, like, kind of preachy to her. Yes, I do remember that. Because that's what Luke feels like in this moment to me, and I, I really hope that that's the intent, that they're fully going on with that kind of smug hubris, because when we jump forward to The Last Jedi, that's that's what he's referring to. So it's kind of cool to see that here. And maybe we'll get more of the gaps filled in. Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah, like, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, how they choose to tell that story. You know, because I have no doubt now that they have to tell that story, you know, about those intervening years 
where Luke goes from this person, you know, this like proud, confident Jedi who's so assured that he like has the right way of doing things, you know, and he knows how to reestablish the Jedi Order. How do you get from there to the galaxy being a shit show in The Force Awakens? <laughs> you know, there's clearly lots of storytelling that needs to happen in that period. And I'm like, how are you going to do this? Especially because of the decision to have Luke be CG in this episode, which right. <laughs> I think is like, let's face it, is a huge part of our issues with the whole thing. You know, the execution and the fact that Luke is like a creepy, soulless mannequin, and mm. and I hate it. But you know, so I don't want to like crap over anyone's work. You know, I'm sure there are visual effects artists who really slaved over that whole sequence with Luke. You know, to try and get it right, and like it looks all right you know like it's not the worst thing i've seen in terms of like cg recreations of actors it's just there's no substitute for a living breathing human being you know and like i'm sure the technology will be there you know in 10 20 years where it will be photorealistic and that's a scary time and i don't really want to think about that (laughs) i don't want the technology to be there same i'm really (laughs) averse to this like as I was watching Rogue One, I was like, why did they do this? Yeah. Like, just because you can. I don't really... There's no substitute. And I know that we were ragging on the whole Sebastian Stan fan cast. Oh, yeah. No, bring in Sebastian Stan. Please, God, it's much better than this. My ideal was for them to bring in an unknown. And I think I said that before. But, like, literally cast any living, breathing person. Yeah. I really... I don't like the de-aging thing. I think it has weird implications um i think there's something that's really sad and kind of lacking in those performances in air quotes like i just i just don't think it can ever replace an actual actor yeah i i just i don't know why they do it i think i'm i'm worried about why they're doing it actually because i think they're just going to keep going down this path until they can fully replicate someone and then that has all kinds of ethical questions mm. you know yeah. it, but where will, when will like, will we be at the point where they don't need actual actors anymore because they'll just make them all the machines? Ooh. Right, and then we're just kind of watching video game cutscenes. Like, I don't really understand the point. It's almost like the closer they get, the more uncanny valley and disconcerting it, happen- it feels. Yeah. Like, at least if it was, like, so far removed from being realistic, it it would just have a very different effect. I think because it's, it's so close and yet so far, it just has this uneasiness to it. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it's one thing to make a CG look for this sort of appearance, you know, where the actual scene where he's CG and he's talking, it's maybe like a minute, two minutes. And, you know, he's mostly static. He's mostly just stood there talking, lips flapping, whatever. And (laughs) the whole concept of the character is he's meant to be very serene and very calm and very Jedi-like. You know, it's one thing to have that version of the character bcg i still don't like it i still think it was the wrong choice but i feel like you can just about get away with it there but there's no way you could get away with it if you had like a luke centric show you know like luke in the jedi academy you know you cannot do that with a cg recreation it would just be appalling in my opinion (laughs) so i really hope they don't go down that path because it would just be so limiting you cannot show like the true spectrum of human emotion 
and tell like a really moving human story about a character when the character is CG. Short of it being like a Pixar film where it's obviously different because it's animated. It's yeah, it's just different when it's trying to pretend to be live action, but it's not. So yeah, I was going to say like just it. do an animated series in that case. Yeah, I would much prefer that. With Rogue One, I can kind of justify it to myself because I'm like, well, Tarkin's meant to be creepy anyway. And Leia we see for a couple of seconds. Yes. But yeah, you're right. If they tried to do any more than this with this kind of Luke, it just, it it wouldn't work. Mm. So I'm yeah. hoping that if they do go forward with it, they're recasting. And this was kind of like a nod to wanting Mark to be involved. And he's obviously happy to do it. Yeah. But it's so it's okay to recast Luke Skywalker. Yeah. You know? They could recast a young Han Solo, they can recast a young Luke, it's okay. It's well okay. part of me wondered if they kind of put down um the kind of lukewarm reaction to solo to the recasting, and that's so mm. not the issue with solo. No, not at all. You know, Alden did a Alden did a great job. Donald did a great job. That's not the issue. So I hope they're not now averse to recasting. Yeah, I feel that would definitely be the wrong lesson to take away from that film. But yeah, I I can kind of, I can make my piece with it here because it is such a small role. And for most of it, obviously the action, he's hooded. But um, yeah, there's just this uneasiness to it, which I do think is partly meant to be there in terms of the characterization. But it's a lot. And it, it makes... I, it makes you feel very odd about Grogu being taken away from Din, which I think is partly the point. Like, we're not... At this point, we're not supposed to want to see them separated. Yeah. Especially after what Ahsoka said, you know? Exactly. And we see how hard it is for him. Like, Pedro's acting there is wonderful. Yeah. No, it's... I don't think it's meant to be, like, a triumphant note. And again, that's why it's hard, because I feel like the music is kind of triumphant at the end. You know, it's meant to be like, oh, Luke's taking Grogu away. How fantastic. But I feel like everything else about that event is tragic to me, you know. So it's kind of dissonant that the music is coded as swelling and celebratory when I'm like, no, this is wrong. This is really, really bad. Um, and I, it's beautiful music, so I'm not criticising Ludwig, but yeah, I just question the intent behind those choices. And that's that's what I think we're left with. We are questioning the intent, and I think that is sort of by design. We're not supposed to know exactly how things are going to go at this point, but I'm also a bit apprehensive. And again, I sh- I know I shouldn't be too worried about the general fandom reactions to these things. I should be able to block that out and just enjoy the show for what it is. But we can't ignore the fact that Luke Skywalker, especially in a post-The Last Jedi world, has been kind of swept up into this larger culture war that's going on right now. Like, that is exactly what's happened. And Lucasfilm have to be all too aware of that, surely. So seeing some of the reactions to this and pitting it against The Last Jedi's Luke, when really I think they complement each other in terms of where they would be at that point in the story... I'm I'm a bit worried about what will happen if they go down the path that we think they're going down and people feel a bit like there was a, a bait and switch. Yeah. I think it's going to be fascinating to be honest. Um because yeah, like I've seen so many like deeply emotional responses to Luke coming back in this thing. You know, like I'm always interested in how people like perceive the Star Wars, you know, and how they engage with it. 
and like I've seen Reddit posts where people are saying things like when I was a child I often felt really scared and alone and vulnerable and seeing like Luke Skywalker back in this it made me feel like I was six years old again and that like I had a sense of safety that I haven't had since I was a child you know and since I had all this belief and hope and love for this character you know and these really like emotive heartfelt like interpretations of the return of Luke basically and like I honestly felt quite moved reading them you know to realize it had such a profound effect on people um and yeah like I think it's just interesting because equally there's other people who are using the return of Luke in this episode to underscore their pre-existing dislike of the sequel trilogy and Luke's characterization there and again another comment I saw that I thought was very interesting was the reason people have respond have so strongly rejected the Luke of the sequel trilogy or more specifically of the last Jedi is because he represents like the darkness in people you know and the failures in people that they're desperately trying to deny you know that for a lot of people they want Luke to be this fantasy version that people had of him in their heads they don't want him to be like a real human being you know of all these frailties and vulnerabilities and that struck me as being very true you know for many of the comments I've seen and I'm not saying that's true for everyone in terms of how they relate to that character but I think it's true for many people and yeah I just thought that was interesting yeah and I remember when The Last Jedi came out and we had these episodes where we talked about Luke's arc that was one of the reasons we loved it so much because it felt so honest and real and kind of challenging those uncomfortable truths in all of us and our fears but um I think a lot of it comes down to just the fact that they had to jump ahead that far because that was the age of the original trilogy actors at this point and if they wanted to be involved that's what they had to do um if they had shown their story in chronological order and kind of gradually shown luke going down this path as they're now going back to fill the gaps in presumably would that have been more palatable for people yeah i think that's the million dollar question i think it's the shock of jumping ahead 30 years and not having the context for this change in him yep no, I agree. And the shortcomings of the sequel trilogy story of being like, okay, well, we'll show you these like ambiguous flashbacks from each character's point of view, but we're not going to give you truly satisfying answers. There's not going to be a, like a, this is exactly how it went down. This is why Kylo fell. This is what Luke did in terms of facilitating that. And of course, he jumped to the Rise of Skywalker and it turns out there was someone else in behind the scenes altogether. So I think that's a big part of it too, that people aren't quite sure what was each character's fault and what each character's personal failing was yeah and luke is just like this and there's not an easy simple explanation because ryan was trying to say something about how we all are in in our own lives you know there's not always one reason you can point to as to why things turn out the way they do suddenly you're middle-aged and you feel this way and you're not (laughs) you're not sure why and now they're going back to some a time period much closer to the return of the Jedi. So it's closer to the Luke that people feel they've always known. But we still know the rest of the story is coming. And they're going to start paving the way for that. So I'm just really interested to see how this goes. And I do think if, if it would had been possible to tell a sequel trilogy much closer to that original timeline, I think things would have gone quite different for those 
hardcore Luke fans who feel very betrayed by Ryan's portrayal of the character. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and yeah, like I think this all underscores why I think that story needs to be told at some point. I'm not saying it needs to be told, you know, like next year or even like the year after or whatever. But I think to help people reconcile where Luke ends up, people need to understand how he got there. You know, so we don't currently have that story. I'm in two minds about that personally. <laughs> I get why they're doing it because this is a franchise that has never ending content and they feel the need to go back and fill in all these gaps. Yeah. But we have the ending, or at least what we've been told is the ending of the Skywalker saga now. Mm. So I'm like, does this all matter? If we know how the story ends? And I guess that's where whatever hypothetical story they might tell between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, it all comes down to execution, doesn't it? <laughs> like, And I hate that I keep on saying that because it's such a um, cop-out. But, you know, they sort of need to justify the story's existence when they're telling the story. You know, like, if it's, like, a well-executed, well-acted, if it's live-action story, you know, in its own right then it kind of deserves to exist. But if it is just filler where, well, we need to fill in the gaps and tell this story about what happened between the films just to shut up the rabid fans who are calling for this, you know, I don't want that. No one should want that. But yeah, they just need to get the right team on board, I think. This is my apprehension with Star Wars as it is at this point, which I I know sounds ridiculous because... It's a franchise. They have to keep churning out content and apparently they're going to keep using the same characters over and over again. Content! Sorry. Well, that's what it is. I mean, the sequel trilogy jumped ahead and had its own themes. It had its own thesis Mm. in terms of how that turned out to be executed by the end of the third movie. I have mixed feelings on that, obviously. But at least it was like... It didn't feel just like a Wikipedia entry. Yes. Whereas if you go backwards and you fill in gaps to a story that people already kind of know where it goes. I'm really not sure how satisfying that will end up being. Mm. I guess that was that was a lot of people's misgivings with the prequels in the first place. But at least then it was still more open-ended. You didn't really have a sense of who Anakin was. We kind of know who Luke is. None of this is going to be a huge surprise. Yeah. I feel like seeing who Ben Solo was would be a main draw for me personally. Because obviously we get a glimpse of, you know, like Ben Solo on the light side at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. But apart from that, you only ever see this Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren who's mired in self-doubt and guilt and self-hatred, you know. And for me, it would sort of be interesting to see a Ben Solo before all that corruption has started. Like, So I think it's all him, you know, but he obviously goes on this huge trajectory and... I personally would want to see that and obviously there's also huge changes that Luke undergoes too so yeah like it's a story I personally would be interested in but I totally understand and empathize with your concerns and yeah for me it's always going to come back to the creative team you know like I, I don't mean to denigrate what Favreau and Filoni have pulled off so I think there are really good qualities to the Mandalorian you know and I feel like we've both been pretty positive about this episode actually but I would be quite concerned if they were to be the leads on, you know, a hypothetical Luke and Ben show. 
you know like I really really want there to be new voices you know people who have a sort of vision statement for I want to tell a story about this you know and it's not a story about x character it's a story about a theme or a lesson or an archetype you know like just something that is not just Star Wars itself you know and I feel like they really need to bring in more new blood to make that happen yeah I think that's my concern there's just such an emphasis it feels like on plot and that's kind of what I mean about the Wikipedia entry point sure like unless there's something new to say as you tread over these gaps in the, the time that we are already aware of I just don't see the point and I I know this sounds weird coming from a Ben Solo fan but I don't particularly care about seeing young Ben Solo unless it adds something truly new or unexpected and I can't see how it would now that we know the end of his story mm. and the general gist of his arc in terms of what happened with Palpatine and Snoke and Luke yeah like we know we know how his story ends so I'm I'm a bit I don't know I know there's a lot of fear that would basically just be really depressing not even fear I'm just genuinely not sure I'm interested yeah no honestly I know that fair. sounds weird because I love Adam Driver's portrayal of that character mm. I just, I'm not sure what it would add for me. Yeah. Um, we have the end of the Skywalker saga now. You know, I just, I don't know. I guess I'll see if it comes down to it. But um, I, I desperately just want them to move into new time periods. Yeah. No, same. <laughs> Where things just aren't bogged down by what we already know. Yeah. So we're going to see. Like, and obviously I know I've, we've just had a discussion about it but there's nothing to say this will actually happen you know this hypothetical like show with Luke like so I do think we're gonna see Luke again like there has to be some follow-through on what happens with Luke and Grogu now you know now that they've set that up but that's not to say there will ever be like a full-blown Luke TV show and like it's something I would certainly be curious about and check out but I would be very wary about how it would be handled. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, time will tell. Yeah, and I guess as Luke leaves there with Grogu and R2, you are kind of meant to connect to, oh, okay, so Ben Solo would be about four years old here, so will Grogu and Ben be at the Academy together? Mm. Uh, Again, I'm not quite sure of what the intent of all the, the tone is. Or like what we're supposed to take away from it. It's very open ended. Yeah. Um Yeah. No. So I the thing by the end of the episode, obviously, you're meant to then focus on what comes after the credits. Yes. Like that that's the looking forward part. Yeah. No, exactly. Um I'm just trying to think if there's anything else we need to say about the episode itself before we get onto the discussion of the Boba thing. Did you have anything to add in terms of actually seeing Din unmask for Grogu yes. before he leaves? No, that is the main thing I still needed to talk about. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought that was a really beautiful moment. Like, I don't want to be that person, but I'm pretty sure I perfectly predicted what would happen like last week in our episode then. And it's not rocket science, you know. I wasn't predicting anything wildly like out of left field, you know. I think I just said that I think... Din will take the mask off for the baby and give him a big old smile and I'm not even sure if he did give him a big old smile so he was kind of sad obviously when the mask came off but he did certainly take the mask off and there was a beautiful bonding moment and 
yeah I thought that was really lovely and well executed and it just for me underlined the wrongness of separating them you know I just can't get over the habit in Star Wars of the Jedi separating parents from their children like it will always feel gross and icky to me and I don't like it yeah um yeah I thought the performance was beautiful I did as I said I had to watch it three times to actually be able to focus on that um because of everything else that was going on and you're right it does have this element of like no this isn't right they're supposed to be together especially after what Ahsoka told us um so you get the sense that when they went to Typhon they they shouldn't have gone there I don't know yeah Uh it's very weird because Ahsoka repeatedly tells Stin that the baby should not be trained and even explicitly says it's better to let the powers fade you know and I really wish that he'd just taken her advice and honestly I think in time you know in future seasons because they will inevitably be reunited at some point I think Ahsoka's words will be borne out you know I think her advice will be proven to be the advice that should have been taken to begin with and I think it's completely understandable why Din is so intent on seeking training for the child. You know, he genuinely thinks that's what's best for Grogu. But I think it's going to become evident that it definitely was not what was best for Grogu. So, yeah, poor little guy. Mm. Oh, poor Din. Yeah. <laughs> Probably sad. feels lost now. He's, he doesn't have the Razor Crest anymore. He doesn't have Grogu. This was kind of his last ditch. Like, okay, well, I have to get him back. And then as soon as he has him, he has to part with him again. Um, so now I guess he has all the Darksaber and Mandalore stuff to contend with, but that wasn't where he saw his life going. Yeah. Yeah, another Star Wars tragedy, Kirsty. <laughs> One to add to the list. Um, but yeah, let's not end on tragedy. Let's end on joy and happiness and fun because of the end credits stinger, which I thought was <laughs> lovely. And it it was just nice and uncomplicated, I guess. You know, after all the intense feelings about the whole Luke thing. Um, because I just loved it. Like, I loved going back to Jabba's palace. I loved seeing Bib Fortuna again. I love that Bib has, like, clearly taken on Jabba's dietary habits. And has, like, clearly, like, gotten a bit out of hand with the whole weight thing. I love that um, <laughs> Fennec came in and freed his slave girl. I like that feminism always good um i like that um boba came in and unceremoniously killed bib fortuna because bib fortuna was the nightmare creature of my dreams as a child um so scary he's really frightening i don't like him and i also loved that boba and fennec basically set up shop as the new underworld gang leaders on tatooine at the end it was beautiful yeah, I'm really interested to see how that's going to go because they're kind of re-establishing him there as a villain. Mm. But if we're following him, we're clearly still supposed to root for him. Maybe he's going to reform the criminal underworld on Tatooine, <laughs> Kirsty. <laughs> yeah. The music there was very like Pirates of the Caribbean, I thought. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. Um, yeah, I, I also kind of just appreciated the fact that they were going full in on the notion of those kind of Marvel-esque end credit scenes just being a commercial for something. Because that's what they are. But It's like, tune in next time for the Book of Boba Fett. Which I also yeah. think is a great title, by the way. I like that. I do too. Yeah, so I guess we're going to get that 
before the next season of Mando. Seems like, like it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, so I know they're shooting the Boba Fett thing right now, I believe, from the rumours that are floating about. And as far as I understand, season three of The Mandalorian is not shooting yet. So, yeah, it definitely seems like this will come first. Yeah. Before we finish, I must say um, I wish everyone a very happy holiday season. If you celebrate Christmas, a very Merry Christmas. And I honestly offer my sincerest hopes and wishes for myself as much as anyone else that the new year brings significant change for the better. You know, because obviously 2020 has been a really rough year for many of us. And I really, really hope that next year is like a gradual incline towards something resembling more normal, you know, because, yeah, I think most people want that. Yeah, same. All the best for everyone. And, you know, however we personally feel about The Mandalorian, obviously we've been very up and down. It has been nice to have it the weeks that we've had it. Some things to kind of distract us from real life a bit. Yeah. Um, just a bit of fun. So, yeah, it's been kind of nice to escape into this world with everyone. Yeah. No, and thank you to everyone who's joined us for our episodes on The Mandalorian Season 2. Um, we've had some really nice messages from listeners. And, yeah, as always, it's lovely to know that people are watching the show along with us and engaging with our thoughts like this. So thanks, everyone. We're going to take a couple of weeks break for the holidays, but we'll be back early to mid-January. Haven't quite figured it out yet, Yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, we will be back. And yeah, we look forward to talking more Star Wars in the new year. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye! Bye!